right, is there any other announcements? All right, if not, uh, our call to worship today is from Matthew 21, verse 9. Uh, and the crowd went before him and followed him, were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Faithful Father, we begin today by giving you thanks for your love that endures forever. It never fails. Though we are many ways in which we have failed, we have not exceeded your supply of your mercy and grace. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work opening our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, we all rise and let's uh, turn to hymn number 126, Hosanna.
you, children. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll now receive, uh, recite the Apostles' Creed found on the inside cover of your hymnal. Christians, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He ascended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For when he flatters himself in his own eyes, that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He lost trouble while on his head. He sets himself in the way he does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and peace you say, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadows of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you, for with you is the foundation of life. In your light do we see light. Oh, continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. 
the uh, Westminster Standards, question 168, what is the Lord's Supper? The Lord's Supper is a sacrament of the New Testament, wherein by giving gives his evil bread and wine, according to the appointment of Jesus Christ, his death is shown forth, and they Question 169, how has Christ appointed bread and wine to be given and received in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper? people of God. Good morning. And it is a wonderful morning. It is a good day to worship the Lord. As you know, if you've been to this church before, we have a liturgy. Now really, every church has a liturgy. Most just pretend they don't. But the service unfolds some kind of a way with certain things in it and other things not in it. And we put in the things that have been done in the church for the thousands of years since and that we think are justifiable on the basis of Scripture itself. So we do have a time of confession. That's what you did when you said the Apostles' Creed. You said, here's the basic rock-bottom minimum of what it is to be believing a Christian. And now we have a time for confession, not where you confess your sins to any other person, which is actually a beneficial thing to do sometimes under some conditions, But this is a time where you confess to the Lord your God your personal and private sins. You confess them to him for forgiveness, for the unburdening of the conscience as we continue into the service. So right now we'll have a time of silence for you to confess to the Lord your personal and private sins. people of God, we also confess corporately our sin as a people. Christian, do you believe that you've sinned every day in thought, word, and deed? Yes. 
We do. And do you believe that your only hope lies in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and that you have no hope in and of yourself or a righteousness of your own? We do. Then I simply declare to you what the scriptures declare, that if you have rested on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, your sins are forgiven and you are restored to a right relationship with your God. Lord God, our Father, we also bring you the particular petitions of this church, of this people of God. We pray for Michael Fredman's upcoming surgery that's coming on Good Friday, for Mark Paris' cataract surgery upcoming. We pray for Marcia Hammett, for her health being in decline. We pray for Dan Marshall's friend Jim, who's in hospice care. His spirit is secure and for comfort for his family. For Dan Marshall's nephew with RM. M-R-S-A, physically being healed and praying for spiritual healing, David Wayne. We pray for Marty for upcoming considerations in regard to future ministry in the ARP churches. We pray that DeSoto Healthcare will consider allowing Pastor Kerry Hammett and his wife Molly to lead a small Easter service for the residents next weekend. We continue to pray for Ava Roten and all that have cancer and are struggling with different cancers. We pray in regard to the recent storms. We know, Lord God, that the wind and the waves submit themselves to your will. And so we thank you, Lord God, for protecting us, our lives, our well-being, and our fortunes during this time. But we pray for the victims, Lord God, for those that have lost family and friends and property, that you would restore them, Lord God, and lead them to a knowledge of you. We pray for Patricia's son, who's having hernia surgery, and just pray, Lord God, that that would be beneficial and a blessing to his well-being. We pray for Mike Perkins' brother-in-law, who's home from the hospital. We thank you, Lord God, that you preserved his life, and pray, Lord God, for his healing and well-being. We pray for Mike Perkins, who fell, and we thank you, Lord God, that there are no fractures, and just pray that you would continue to keep Mike healthy and well. We pray for the Maffitt family, who are moving to Texas, for Ariana and Elliot. Elena for ongoing health issues. We pray for Pam's sister who's in rehab and under long-term plans for her care and well-being. There are many others, Lord God, and many others that we pray for on an ongoing basis. And We've seen at this church your miraculous hand of intervention, Lord God, that those that we pray for, Lord God, that you reach out and you heal them, you, you make them well, you sustain their lives and their well-being. And we praise you, Lord God, for this ongoing care of your people. And we pray for all of the unstated prayers, Lord God, and the thoughts of the heart, things that might not be proclaimed from this pulpit, Lord God, but that you know full well that your children need your care and intervention. And we as a people pray for physical healing, Lord God, for emotional healing, for spiritual healing and well-being. We pray for presidents and kings and princes and those in positions of power and authority that you would guide them according to your will and according to your royal law so that we might have justice maintained in the land. We also pray, Lord God, for your church, for this church, Lord God, but all of the churches in this area that as they proclaim your law and your gospel that many would come to know you and in knowing you have life and hope, and peace. We also pray, Lord God, praying the prayer that your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Please rise as we sing the next song in your order of service.
You may be seated. At this time, we normally uh, pass an offering plate, but thanks to COVID, we now have a box in the back, and uh, you can put it in there at any time. Uh, let's pray. Compassionate Father, thank you that you are our strength, our song. You fill our hearts with joy. May we give our offerings to you with gladness and joy. Everything we have belongs to you, and we rejoice to give some of your abundant gifts back to you. Please bless us tithes and offerings we give today. Amen. Amen. Please rise. Don't get too comfortable. Praise God. Thank you for this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to go ahead and ask this question now. Can everybody hear okay in the back? Yeah. Pretty good. Thank you. Happy birthday, Chloe. It's not part of the sermon. I haven't started the sermon part yet. Want everybody to come and say, you can't say happy birthday in a sermon. <laughs> so, because we just took the offering, you know, uh, uh, basically everybody knows we had a, a few little uh, administrative issues in, in the gathering of the paperwork for the end of the year. Uh, the session met this morning, and, and Jack Anthony has been basically the bookkeeper, CPA, accountant, and everything for this church for the last 50 years. He, we're going to have him go ahead and audit everything and make sure that everybody gets all of their records back exactly accurate. So just so you know, Jack's going to be working on that, and we expect to have some kind of an official paper for you within the next week or so. Uh, with that... Um, this is going to be uh, one of those times when I didn't write the sermon. My friend Doug Eaton did. Now, not exactly, because me and Doug have been friends for 30-some years and all of that. And, and we've talked about Palm Sunday so many times. We've gone through the text together. And, and uh, there's this one time where for this uh, blog, you know, he wrote out the basic three points that he thought were very salient to that. And that affected me deeply. So we've talked about this hundreds of times over the years and years and years. But I don't want you to feel jipped like you're getting a used sermon. <laughs> I could have just told you it was fresh. I think nobody would have known. Denny would have known, but she wouldn't have told on me. So let's go ahead and take a look at Matthew chapter 21. Now you'll notice that my Denny is back this week. Uh, 
things that happens is somebody gets sick and all of a sudden you notice how important somebody is to everything going on. I noticed it like a two by four in the face when Denny got a fever and we had to cancel everything during an entire week of ministry. This is the kind of thing that happens. Sometimes little things shake you up in such a way as that you notice that people are carrying a lot of the load, you know. Uh, I'm the pastor here, and because it's a small church, I'm the only employee. But all the work gets done by y'all, right? It's not, and if possible, I don't really want to do that much. You, I, I know there's these guys that, you know, they want to do it all and all that. And I don't want to do really any of it. But, you know, uh, if I could just, like, preach sermons and teach the Bible and that, you know, that'd be... Great for me, but there's so much stuff to do and everybody handles it. You, all of you that came down a, a couple weeks ago and you re-cleaned and reorganized the church and everything, it's beautiful back there now. And I just want to thank you guys for that. You'll notice that the playground equipment has been updated and there's new uh, uh, places for the kids to play. And so, you know, I know probably nobody said anything to you guys, but the children and the families really appreciate it. It really helps out with all of these things. Last week, we went over specifically evangelism and the importance of evangelism. Believe it or not, we're doing that this week too, just from a little bit of a different perspective. When we talk about the triumphal entry, we're talking about when everything really gets serious with Jesus. And you might think to yourself, you're already 21 chapters into Matthew. How much more serious can it get? Well, here's where it really, the rubber hits the road. Jesus, for the first time, accepts the praise and adulation of the crowd, proclaiming him the king of his people, Israel. That's how heavy it gets right there. For three years, give or take, because it doesn't have a specific timeline, and for 20 chapters... He's been continually telling his people when they come up to him and they're like, Jesus, we want to tell everybody. And he's like, no, not yet. No, not yet. No, not yet. And now he doesn't say, no, not yet. At the same time that they're going to come to him and they're going to praise him and they're going to say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Talking about Jesus, he knows that he's on a mission where he's only a few days from a tragic and bloody murderous death. And he's walking into it with eyes wide open, accepting the adulation of the crowd. Let's go ahead and read. From chapter 21, verse 1. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied with and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken of by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went, and Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds went before him, and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, crying, Who is this? 
And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, we pray that you would open your word to us today. Not just to our natural eyes or our worldly inclinations, but to our hearts, Lord God, in such a way as to break them in order to make room for you. We thank you, Lord God, for this great work of your spirit in us. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So in this, Jesus is putting his crucifixion in motion. He doesn't say like he does to the disciples, keep it quiet, fellas. It's not time yet. Also, he doesn't somehow mystically move through the crowd and then disappear. He was among them and then he wasn't among them. Whether they were taking him to kill him or whether they were taking him to make him king, this is the time when he is the king coming into the place of kings. Now this thing about the donkey and the colt, this goes all the way through scripture. It's come up again and again. It's talking about a certain characteristic of a true and worthy king. How do kings usually come into cities? With their armies around them and their sword in their hand, riding a, a tool of battle. Me and the kids, you know, we're, when we're studying history, one of the great things that we study is the battle of the elephants, right? One of the great things that a ruler could do is he would come in on a team of elephants. Because what's the one thing that can take down a horse? An elephant. Then they took him over the Alps and they found out elephants don't like the cold. And so that was the end of that. But it was a great idea at the time. But Jesus comes in humble. Not with armies around him, but with children holding branches in their hand, waving them and crying out to God, Hosanna, which is a little bit like saying, Hallelujah, Yah being the name, Yahweh of God. And so some people are asking, who is it that could cause such a stir in a city full of deep devotion and religious sentiment? And they say, Jesus, and they call him by the name of a prophet. And he does not correct them because this is the time. You remember the first thing that Jesus ever said? He sat down. He was supposed to do a sermon. He read a few lines from Isaiah. And then he said, today these lines are fulfilled in your presence. And he was done with the sermon. And the people all said, wow, that's the best sermon I've ever heard. (laughs) He's not keeping them there all day. He got straight to the point. At the same time, the line after says, and then he began to preach the kingdom of God. Now, it is a kingdom because it has a king. Now, we're Americans. We hate kingdoms. Uh, Yeah, everybody's really been up on the thing with uh, Harry and uh, he married some actress. I don't know. You guys are paying attention to this? I know you do. Man. Don't lie in church. God knows. You guys have paid attention to all of it. It's been juicy, right? The royal family battling each other, saying stuff about each other, hiring lawyers. It's been crazy, right? But Americans, you know, as much as we watch that stuff from across the pond, we're not really into kings. The real truth is we're not into human kings. We find them to be too fallible, too broken, too greedy. And what happens when you give a person extraordinary amounts of power? tends to corrupt them deeply on the inside. So we don't really like royal families. We have a king that we elect every four years, and they can only be king for eight. We call it a presidency, but really they have the power, right? So we constrict all of these things. We have separation of powers. We have divisions within the government, all to keep men from becoming too powerful. But there's this old idea. It's a good idea that if someone were actually good, 
and pure and loving enough to truly be a parent and a caregiver to the people, that person might be worthy of being a king. Not just a policeman, not just a captain, not just a teacher, but the king of all of us. Now the God who set all these things in motion, he knew that we needed a king. We were never made to be autonomous or self-sufficient, right? We're not good at self-sufficiency. What's the first thing that any of your kids want as soon as they're old enough to want it? Self-sufficiency. They want to go where they want to go and do what they want to do. And so we spend our entire lives raising our children in such a way as to keep them from poking their eyes out. Or running with knives. Or getting this vacuum cleaner stuck to the side of their face. You know, they, they love autonomy, but they're not really ready for autonomy, right? In this real way, God is raising us to be mature men and women of God, but we will never be capable of pure and individualistic autonomy. That might be what the culture worships and says, this is what a person is meant to be, but we Christians say we were never meant to be without our king. Never meant to be without our king. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, One of the prophecies about Jesus is, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. He is humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And so this prophecy of Jesus is being fulfilled in our presence on that day. One of the next things is Jesus being selected as the Passover lamb. Now you know what would happen on the Passover. Have any of you ever done a Seder dinner? I love those for the teaching that it goes through. I know some people are a little conflicted about it because we lived through a time when people tried to do weird things with the relation of the Old and New Testament, but there is nothing bad for us in the Old Testament. There are just some things that don't continue because when Christ came, he fulfilled those things, but if you look at them, they're still all about Jesus. And so to go through the center dinner is a good exercise in understanding what they did in the Passover. But sooner or later, you had to select a lamb from your flock, unblemished, pure, and perfect. And you took it to the priest. And the priest prayed over it. And the priest sacrificed it. And the priest cooked it. And certain sections were given back to you for you and your family to go home and consume because you needed to participate in the death of that lamb. And so in this entry, the people are crying out about Jesus, whether they know it or not. They are selecting him as the lamb of their sacrifice and intervention between them and God. When they called out his name and said, Jesus, Hosanna, they were doing a lot more than they thought they were. The entire city of Jerusalem, the city of God, all the way from before Abraham, it was already the city of God, was calling out to their Messiah as king. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 3, it says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep, or from the goats, and ye shall not keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it that evening. That means you eat it right then, you consume it, and you move on. Now another thing, Jesus was marching to his death 
and he knew it. From Doug, his desire to see his father glorified and his love for us drove him forward. And when the time of crucifixion had arrived, he had reached his destination. Upright between two thieves nailed to a cross and having a spear thrust into his side, the cleansing blood and water flowed. His final cry was, it is finished! And the purchase had been made. The powers of hell had been broken. In the words of Charles Spurgeon, no sin of the believer can now be an arrow to mortally wound him. All of us who have faith in Jesus have been cleansed by his precious blood, having every reason to sing Hosanna to the Son of David. Now all of you have had people that care for you. And some of them you have loved for it. And some of them you have used and mercifully abused because they were open to it. But at the same time, to have someone willing to die for you is a special kind of a thing. And it's easy for this to become rudimentary and distance from us, not because we care about it too little, but because we care about it too much. Let me explain that. When you come into church, you have all of your own presumptions about what's supposed to happen here. Some people think to themselves, I'm just putting in my time. It's not entirely wrong to think that way, because the worse option would be not putting in the time, right? Some people think, I want to learn something new. You know what, Christian? As the older Christians here already know, you're going to get to a place where you're not going to come to church and learn something new every week. A lot of it is going to be hearing something old that you've heard before a hundred times and having it be refreshed in your heart. Pretty soon you're going to get to the place where you know this book pretty well inside and out. And that's not a flaw. That's a success. But at the same time, I'll tell you, and probably any other person here would witness to it, I still open this book every day, and I swear I get something new out of it, even though I'm reading the same stuff I've been reading all my life. It's always old, but it's always new. Secondary to that, it speaks to every possible human condition. Everything you can possibly go through or need to know in order to live this life or to make it to the next, God has preserved in this text. So that if we look for it, we will find it. When we're a new Christian, we're amazed at things in there and we don't understand much of it, but it's more than enough to feed our souls. And when we're an older Christian, that only grows deeper and wider. I remember I told you this story once before that an old friend of mine, a pastor named David Kennard, who's already gone to be with the Lord, told me one time when he was, he was going to visit a retiring pastor who had been in the pulpit 50 years And he wanted to confess his sins to the people because that was a tradition in their particular theological lineage. And he went up to the pulpit and he started weeping in front of them. And he said, I confess to the excessive consumption of apples and pears. (laughs) I remember when Dave told me this and Dave started getting a little teary when he said it. I was like, that's crackers! What's that? That's kind of crazy. He doesn't have any good sins. Doesn't have any real sins. You know? Well, here's the thing. Uh, As you get older in the faith, the things that you thought weren't sins at all start to open themselves up to you in deeper ways so that you understand that often the things that you thought were mountains were molehills. And many of the times you thought were molehills were mountains that speak to the deep nature of your heart and character. All of them are the same in Jesus Christ and him 
crucified. They're all forgiven in Christ. But now, I don't doubt at all that this person probably lived a very holy life compared to me and what I think a holy life would be, right? So that when he got to the place where he recognized some of his deep failings, you know, this thing with pears was wiping him out. (laughs) In other words, he was not actually wrong. Now, we know this idea, right? All sins are the same in God's sight. Even the slightest sin, the slightest blemish on that lamb disqualifies it from being a sacrificial lamb. And even the slightest sin is worthy of the condemnation of a God who is infinitely righteous, just, and holy. Proximately, in our daily experience, some sins are obviously worse than others. And some people are just better sinners than others. But do you understand how when you change through life, you get deeper insight into the darkness that's inside you, the purpose of which is to bring you to a deeper insight of the light that is in Jesus Christ for you. Recognizing that you're a sinner in need of grace is a very good thing to do. But it's never the end of the story. The end of the story is the grace. And so Jesus... Because he's coming into his kingdom and he's going to be crowned king of heaven and earth. He takes a minute to accept the praise of the crowd because he was worthy of it. That wasn't him being ambitious. It was just fact. But he knows that this is only going to last days. And in a few short days, the same people that are saying Hosanna, Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth, are the same voices that are going to be saying, give us Barabbas. All of us should share in this moment of intimacy where we see that all of us have betrayed Jesus and he saved us anyway. He did not save a single righteous man. It's hard for people to believe that. This is where the gospel gets complicated, right? What is the world's usual estimation before we can correct that characterization? That nice people, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That's the little assumption that people make about the nature of religion, right? And there are entire religions that feed upon that and place that burden on people. Be good. Don't be bad. How good? Well, eh. Whereas Jesus says, no one deserves it, but I'm going to save you. Not because you were good, but because he was good, right? Amen. A salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord God, our Father, you are so good to us to give us this salvation that's cryptic to us. It's mysterious. It's hard to understand. We don't understand because... Our motivations are not your motivations. That you would go out of your way and move heaven and earth and arrange all of human history in order to save the souls of people that would betray you and say, give us Barabbas. And yet you've come to us, Lord God. You intercede for us. You die for us. And you raise us from the dead on the last day, not because of good in us, but because of a good in you. And so we praise you for this blessing in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper.
There's a song in your order in your order of service. And as a preparation, we'll go ahead and sing that now. You can stay seated.
to a sacred use. And as we come forward, Lord God, we come forward in full faith and knowledge that you are a Savior that saves sinners, that your body was broken for us, that your blood was shed for us as we participate in this meal. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please, as you will, come forward and receive the elements. We will all partake of them together after everyone has theirs. Once we pray over them, they're holy. Now, this might be a little strange to you, 
The pastor's always getting a tizzy over what are we supposed to do with them after they're holy. I'm of that camp that there's no way to unholy these. So we have to eat them all. If I'm like 20 or 30 over, that's a lot of elements. But you can't unholy what God has made holy. Once it's set aside for his particular and holy use, there's never going backward. There's only going forward. As all of you were called together into one body, you are made holy in Christ. There's never going backward. There's only going forward. As the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as you often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Take and drink. Lord God, our Father, that we are allowed to participate in this meal is often enough, but that you invite us, that you invite us to sit at your right hand at your table and participate in this meal is too glorious for us. It's too high an honor that we, Lord God, as fools and and sinners and stumblers, Lord God, we stumble up to your table and you invite us in. You put your arm around us and you call us your children, your sons, and your daughters, and you feed us, Lord God. And even as there is a spiritual element involved in this, Lord God, you feed our spirits during this time. We thank you, Lord God, for this blessing and for all of the great gifts you give in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise as we sing the benediction.
it's a proclamation that if you believe the things that you've heard today, they are for you. And this is, of course, a promise by God. May the Lord your God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.